Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the show today. I'm so delighted to have my guest, Michael Bernstein, joining me today. Welcome to the show, Michael. Great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's going to be really informative, and in many ways, um, Mike, it's actually very personal for me as well because of the topic. And for those of you that are listening, you're thinking, well, gee, what's the topic? Well, Mike is the owner of Bernstein Financial Services, and he's also the author of The Ultimate Guide to Planning Your Personal Finances. And if there was ever a time, it's now. And I, that's going to be the focus of our show, Mike, but I thought before we got into the topic itself, because I do think it's so important, I always love hearing something about my guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself, would you please? Certainly. Thank you. So I was born in the San Fernando Valley area of Southern California, and I have three older brothers, and my parents have, have passed now. Uh, but my father was an accountant also, tax accountant, and so I bought the business from him many three, three years ago. Uh, and along the way, I was uh, very involved in running, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. I have an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. I have an advanced degree in MBA. And uh, along the way, I took accounting classes and tax classes and decided uh, eventually that was what I should do. And my father was very happy about that decision as I was the fourth boy and the last chance to uh, take over the business <laughs> or buy the business. So that worked oh. out fine. And uh, the sports part of it is I had asthma when I was very young. And luckily for me, my mother took me to a doctor who was, I thought, very progressive. I didn't know that then. And rather than saying, sit down, don't exert yourself, he said, no, no, you need to get into sports. You need to get a wind instrument. You need to build up your lungs and do that. So they took me to the park and I did these running races and I haven't stopped running since I was eight years old, long distance running. And I've done other sports since then. So that's been really nice for me to grow up with that. No kidding. That's, that alone is, is a story because so many people that do suffer from asthma are actually discouraged just the opposite. Like, Oh, you won't be able to do that. And it's like, you want to bet? Watch me. And um, I think that's, that's really cool. And I also think it's really great. So your dad was alive when you came into the business. And am I, am I right? Did I hear you that? Did I hear that correctly? Yes. That's nice. That's right. That's nice, yeah. you know. And your brothers just didn't have quite that same interest. And, and so there you have yourself, right, in, in, a, in a family-run business. It's a good thing he had four, I guess, <laughs> four children. Uh, yeah, and, and he was uh, an avid uh, person for education and staying busy and working jobs. So he actually uh, studied for the bar. I was in high school. I studied, took, went to law school late in life, 
passed the bar right before I bought it out in the tax business and practiced law for 11 years in the same office that I was doing taxes. So it was very nice, and it was a, a good a good association. No kidding. And talk about talk about setting the bar. No pun intended. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. your your dad set in place for you um, something to strive for, and maybe it wasn't his intent, but you watched him and you did. And um, you all do you also have children. I have two girls, 33 and 30, both married with both with one child. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Anybody interested in going to financial businesses or maybe uh, not quite I've yet? mentioned it, but no, mm-hmm. I don't think so. One is in okay. uh, helping uh, nonprofits, uh, young at-risk youth, and the other one is a, an estate planning attorney who knows okay. about taxes and has helped me at times, but not their passion. So, Got it. You know, you know it's really funny what you just said. Um because clearly this is an important subject. And it just so happens that my tax person is married to my estate planner, which makes it very nice because they can speak to one another and there's no confidentiality in its way. But that's just a side note about me. So let's talk about financial planning and the freedom that that affords people. So how did how did you is it because of your dad is that where did the interest start in the subject? Well, it, it sort of did that way because when I was fifteen, uh, I when I was thirteen, I was mowing lawns with kids do to make a little bit of money. And at fifteen, my dad said, "Well, why don't you do some bookkeeping for me, and I'll, you'll make some money from the accounts we have." So I, you know, I learned bookkeeping using there's no computers back then. Right. Turning pages, he taught me how, and I balanced books and did it. It just it was math, and I was very good at math. So, but I didn't really love it, and but I was really good at drafting and numbers. So I decided to go into engineering. And it turns out I didn't like the engineering at all when I was all done. I went through the four years, and it turned out okay. Let's try this tax thing in accounting. And the moment I got into it, I haven't had a boring day since. But I never thought that was going to happen originally. So isn't that's that a good interesting? Story. It is a good yeah. story. It is a good story, and you know, you 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 don't. You when my husband decided when he was in high school that he wanted to be an electrical engineer, he he knew that, um, and and that's what he became. He became an electrical engineer until he retired from Hughes to Raytheon. But fortunately for us, back in those days, and Mike, you understand this really well. Back in those days, people had p- pensions. Things were much different back in those days than than they are today. But um, we're going to be talking about planning for our future and planning our finances because it is really important regardless of your age. So I know that you just published your first book called The Ultimate Guide to Planning Your Personal Finances. Was there a particular reason why why you wrote that book now? Now is not because of the pandemic, because I finished it beforehand. I've been trying to guide my clients over the last 33 years. And this started a long time ago, and it developed more and more. And I said, rather than repeating myself to them, maybe I could write something down. Okay, I did write some papers and things for my clients. But I said, really, more people should hear this. I I need to get this out there. And uh, because my approach to it is a little more subtle a little more soft, uh, a little easier than some might think. And so I decided to write this book and get it out there and people can read it. Nice. 
That's what, so when did you publish it? When did it come out? Uh, I finished about a year ago. Okay, terrific. Was that an interesting experience, writing a book? It was, and it was fun. And when people read it who know me, say, Mike, it sounds like you're just talking to me. I, I know the way you tell me things, and this is it. I said, well, that's what I wanted it to sound like. I wanted it to sound like Mike helping you in these areas, uh, important financial areas of your life. And it, if you saw me talking to my clients, a young couple comes into my office 30 years ago or 25 years ago, I say, okay, uh, you're just getting married, you're going to have kids, I'm going to bother you over the next 10, 15, 20 years about all these things, these six mm-hmm. items that I want to talk to you about. I won't bug you about them all today, but you can be sure mm-hmm. I'm going to be asking you about it. And slowly I talk to them about retirement savings and insurance planning and estate planning. And so I, I do that throughout their life because I don't want them coming back to me later on saying, wait, how come you just did my taxes? Because there's so much more to it. So that's, that's what I concentrate on. That's really great. And you know what? Because this is really a lot to digest, for somebody like me, just speaking for myself, the fact that it's in sort of what I would call a conversational style, like, wow, you know, I I feel like I'm sitting right here with you, Mike, except that now I can reread this more than once and I can maybe underline this and take notes there. And it's like, oh, I have a question about this aspect. So I can see where... You know, people that know you, work with you, would find this very, it's like a guide, a how-to guide. You remember, um, this is, I don't mean this to sound even slightly insulting, so I hope it doesn't come out like that. But remember back in the day when there were all these books for dummies, you know, and you just didn't know how to do something like like photography or something like that. Um, I would say that this this subject is so important, and if you've written a, kind of a how-to book um i just i just think that that's that's really vital um why do you think so so now you've got your clients let's just you know we're talking about your clients now so why do you think it's important to revisit um your financial plan every year I'm going to answer that immediately after I say this one thing. I want everyone to know that this book is not a textbook. It's not written Good. like one. It's only about 80 pages long, about 10 to 15 pages per chapter, and I pack it in with the things you need to pay attention to. So it's really consumable is what I make it. Now, to your question, why should you revisit your financial plan every year? Because sometimes if someone actually does a financial plan. It's fantastic. They've gone to that work, whether it's a small cash flow forecast or it's a bigger bigger production with a, a financial advisor, and then sometimes it sits on the shelf, and it sits on the shelf. Meanwhile, you've had grandkids, or you've, your, your life has changed in, in three different ways. You've bought a rental property or sold something, and you've changed it, or maybe you've been off your job for a couple of years or whatever it is, and you haven't revisited your plan, and your path as your pro- trajectory has changed. You want to always revisit the, oh, every couple of years, and even possibly every, I do every year, to make mm-hmm. sure the trajectory is going where you want it to be when you're going to retire or later on in life. That's why it's so important. Just make minor adjustments and make sure you're still on the right path. Right. Because things do change. I mean, clearly um, what we've seen in this last, you know, in 2020, and now we're, look, at we're already into the third month of 2021. Um, many people have had to, 
pivot, as they say. And maybe some people have had to dip into their finances for whatever reasons, or maybe they've lost their job, or maybe they've decided, you know what, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm going to retire. Um, health, all all of these different things that play a part in our decision-making is so important, and you don't want to wait till you're in a crisis to say, oh, gee, maybe I should consider this, right? So if 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 you did your financial planning, you know, quite a while ago, which I did personally, you know, I can see the value of revisiting it because things change. The stock market changes. All kinds of things change. And that can really play a part in our finances, right? Absolutely. And really what I tell people is everyone's going to have setbacks. It's going to happen to most everybody. It's going to happen multiple times throughout your life. I I compare it to my sports, and I do that in my book, in the preface, if you read it, is that sometimes I'm training for a try. I do triathlons now and Ironman, and I did 100-mile runs. do a lot of very difficult type of events. I enjoy those. A lot of planning goes into them. So first you decide to do it. You decide to address your finances. You decide you're going to do an Ironman in three years from now. You have to set out a plan. You have to get that path going. And during that path, maybe you hurt your foot along the way and you can't run for for three weeks and four weeks or five weeks. You have to modify your plan. Well, just like with finances, you've got to modify your plan. Maybe you lost your job during the pandemic. Okay, fine. Then we modify and we change and we get back on track later on. We modify that plan. That's revisiting it. In sports, I call it an equipment failure when my foot hurts for a while. And in finances, it's just a setback. But don't let it get you down. And you don't necessarily have to address, address it during the setback because a lot of people are so uh, unhappy and depressed during that time that they just can't look at it. But just don't forget to bring it out again when it's time to correct the path. Yeah, I can see that. Sometimes just for me, getting it on paper and out of my noggin is a sense of relief. And maybe I I, I put something on my calendar that says, you know, um, sometime this month I'm going to revisit with my financial planner and say, well, actually, that person actually always gets in touch with me. So I, I feel very cared for. I mean, so, so very cared for because I didn't anticipate my husband being alive and then suddenly not alive. And it'll be 12 years um, at the end of this week. But fortunately, because I did have a plan in place, that that man, that financial planner of mine, um, became my main man. I, I tease him that way, but when you when your financial life is is suddenly like oh my goodness he always took care of that stuff now I'm taking care of that stuff you want somebody you can trust and because you've been in business for so long I I can see why you know people would trust you and want you know to to get your opinion so what would you say in thinking about your business what would you say is the most important thing in evaluating our personal finances, and I don't know if there's just one, or what, but what what would how would you how would you respond to that? So if someone told me their age and their family situation, then theirs would be a different item than somebody else. So it really relates to where you are at in life, which is important. So maybe now is a good time 
to mention all the categories, and I can give you that answer uh, based on a couple different situations. Would that be okay? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so, so the big the big six issues I think that handle a person's financial life are cash flow planning, insurance planning, retirement planning, college planning, estate planning, and tax planning. Not my favorite is tax planning, but not the most important to tell you the truth of those. In any case, uh, obviously tax planning is done on an ongoing basis. But if you're a young couple with a child, there are several that are important. Obviously, cash planning is important for everybody, but very, very important is, is an estate plan. In case something happens, is there care for the children? And insurance planning. If someone happens and someone dies, is there money to take care of the family? Retirement planning is important, but not nearly on the front burner as, as estate planning and insurance planning. Go fast forward a little bit later in life. The kids are grown. They're out of college. You're on your own. So insurance still is important because it might be long-term care insurance might be important. And estate planning is really important to make sure that the next generation is handled properly. So when people talk about financial planning and finance and, and doing your personal finances, everyone, something different comes to every person. But most people think about, am I saving for retirement? That's kind of the main thing in my saving retirement, but that's only one aspect. We got to make sure you have the right type of ins- level of life insurance, the right, if you have, need long-term care insurance, do you have disability insurance? There's other types of insurances. The kids are young. Are you doing college planning? Are you putting money away for it? Uh, have you done a trust? Do you need a trust? What does it do for you? And then everybody needs cash flow planning from young to old if they're having any problems or they haven't done it already. So to say which is most important would depend on the person and their age and their situation. Okay. And my, is that a good non-answer for you? Well, here's the thing, and I'm just going to apologize and just be straight with you because that's how I am. I'm, I'm listening to you, and I'm intently listening to you, but I am writing at the same time. So this big six, would you just – Give me those, those six categories again as we continue to talk about this. So what was the first one? Was it tax planning? It was cash flow planning. <clears throat> and cash this is where flow. I start with everybody. But this is where I okay. start with everybody, by the way. When someone comes in and they say, I want to do some retirement planning, I don't start with retirement planning. I start with cash flow planning. Well, how much money do you have available to put in a retirement plan? Have you done mm-hmm. your income and expenses cash flow uh, forecast for yourself? Okay, I bring in 10000 a month. Our family does, and we spend nine thousand a month. We have a thousand month extra, or we're negative, and we got to fix that. So you do cash flow first, and then then you move on to the other items. And what's Which so important two, about cash? Yes. Well, go right. Ahead. Finish with number, your cash flow, please. What's so important about cash flow is people usually don't know what it is for them. Either they know they have a lot extra at the end of every month, and that's fine, things are good, or it's about even, or I'm negative and I don't want to address it. Goes money goes on credit cards. But really, they need to roll up their sleeves, put the numbers on a piece of paper, make everything monthly. So if I pay property tax twice a year, add them up, divide by 12. If I go on vacation a couple times a year and spend $3,000, divide by 12, 250 a month. Everything goes monthly. That way we can see on a monthly basis, if you're putting that 250 away every month, am I positive or am I negative? Then you can look, can you achieve the goals you want to achieve? Do you have enough money to buy the right types of insurance? Can you afford to get a trust done? Can you afford to put money into a college planning account? Can you afford money into a retirement account? That's what the key is. That's the pivoting point. Go ahead. Next item is insurance planning. Next one is insurance planning. And and there's all kinds of insurance, correct? 
There is. And of course, most people concentrate on life is, is the main one. Well, medical is almost given to most people, but there's a lot of people who don't have medical, and that's obviously an mm-hmm. issue that's important to have. But there's life insurance and there's disability and long-term care and called overhead insurance and blah, 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 casualty insurance, uh, a car insurance. Uh, so some of the comments I might get from people, well, I have life insurance. I have it through my work. Okay, how much do you have? I have $250,000. Okay, if you, so what I say to people, they're sitting at my desk, husband and wife, young, okay, one child maybe. And I say to the husband, okay, you can no longer talk. I'm sorry, you're not around, you're dead. So I talk to the wife. I say, okay, now we got $250,000. How's that going to work? We're going to invest it. We're going to make about 5%. How much per month? We're going to get about 1000 a month or whatever it's going to be per month. Is that going to work out? She says, what? We need 1000 a month. He brings in seven. Okay, I guess we need more insurance, don't we? All right, so what do we need? Okay, if we get a million-dollar insurance, invested at 65%, that's 50000 a year. It's about 4000 a month. Is that enough? No, I don't think so. The young child, college, everything – Okay, let's go 1.5 or 2 million. You start to find out what you need by asking questions like that. And I think Mm -hmm. most people, if they haven't done the analysis or haven't had the questions of the experts, they think they may have what they need when they really don't. Do you think that everyone needs life insurance? No, not everyone. So let's Mm -hmm. say the kids are out and we're in retirement and we've saved enough. It's sort of an opposite curve. The more you accumulate over your life, the less life insurance you need. So early in life, usually there's a lot more life insurance needed. Later in life, a lot less and maybe none. If you've got your full retirement and you've got enough for your care and everything else and you feel like there's going to be enough inheritance for the kids the way you want it or whoever's going to get it, then you don't necessarily need life insurance. But mm-hmm. the other comment I get from people is life insurance is a terrible investment. I, I don't, you know what, I, I'm going to put more into retirement, save an investment account. I say, okay. How much are you going to put in your investment account? Oh, we're going to put 2000 a month into an investment account. I said, okay, one month from now you die. How much, is it, how much does a spouse have? They have $2,000. <clears> what would they have if you had a million-dollar life insurance policy? A million dollars. Different subjects. You're trying to commingle two subjects which don't belong together. Get the right amount of life insurance to take care of your family so you can sleep at night. Then talk about investing. Mm-hmm. Take care of first things first. At what age do you recommend um, getting long-term care? Start looking at it in late 50s. These used to be people wouldn't look at it until after 60, but mm-hmm. you could have had you might have some health issues later on, and you don't qualify. Uh, mm-hmm. It costs a little bit less if you get it earlier. And some people don't need long-term care either. They have accumulated enough assets that their assets will pay for the care. But if you haven't, right. like most. Uh, you definitely should look into long-term care. And then some people will say, yeah, but it's so expensive to get the full care that I need 10000 a month if I'm in a home. It's just it's way too my outrageous. I said, okay, get less. Get something. Mm-hmm. Get, mm-hmm. get 4000 benefit. Whatever you get is going to help. So and maybe you can afford in a couple more years another policy on top of that. So usually 50 to 65. If you wait so too let long, me ask you, you won't be in yeah. trouble. So let me ask you this. Now you obviously aren't looking at my portfolio, and and you're gonna you're going to um, correct this thinking. I don't think it's faulty, so I'm gonna have you say, Marcia, you do have this correct. So I do have long-term health care insurance that I pay for, and it is expensive. The good news is, if I need it, I have it. 
But I think what you're going to say is you have that absolutely correct. If I don't use it and I pass away, all of that money that I've been paying for that also evaporates. That does not go to my children. Am I right? Most policies these days, you're renting the insurance. That means when you're done, you're done renting, it's done. There are some policies out there now that have a death benefit attached to them or it transfers to the other spouse. So they can use double the long-term care if you don't use it. Or when the Mm -hmm. second spouse dies, there is a life insurance benefit. So they've created some new products. Generally, most policies stop. Now, I got mine for my wife and I when I was 43. Well, Mike, why would you get it at 43? When you do triathlons and you're riding the bike Mm -hmm. all the time and you're doing 100-mile runs, I never know when I'm going to conk my head and and, and need care the rest of my life. So I decided to get it early. (laughs) But I hope I've answered your question on yours. No, I I think that, you know – because, as we know, that the cost, I mean, um, you know, I'm a decade older than you, and, and the fact that, you know, for people that you hear about that really can no longer be in their home for whatever reason or whatever, you know, I mean, these, 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 these nursing homes, these rehab homes, whatever you want to call these places that people will retire retire to, whether they're independent living or they're secured nursing help or whatever it is, it's very, very expensive. Or maybe you're in a situation where, look, at, I'm not leaving my house. So that means somebody has to come in, and I'm going to need assistance with buying my groceries, giving me a bath, you know, relocating myself downstairs so that you're not going up and downstairs and your bedroom is now downstairs, whatever that might be. Um, I really see, you know, the value to that if you can afford that kind of insurance for that very reason and takes the burden off of your children. So that was that was a personal um, decision that I made considering long-term health care. Um, and then as obviously far as I'm medical, for it. Right. say again? Sorry. I say obviously no. I'm for it. I have it myself. And care can range anywhere from a couple thousand for part-time care all the way up to twelve to 14000 a month for nursing care. So, you know, it's all over the map. And who suffers the most is middle income. Because if you mm-hmm. have if high income that saved a lot of money can afford whatever care they need. Lower income, it's not great care, but they can get on Medi-Cal and they can get the care because they don't have assets to take away. It's the middle income and middle savers that suffer because all that money gets used up for care. Then they qualify for Medi-Cal, so they've exhausted their inheritance. They've changed their financial life and because they didn't have the long-term care. So it's really the middle right. income that needs the long-term care insurance. Yeah, that's, that's really true. So we've talked about cash flow planning. We've talked about insurance. Was the third one estate planning? Retirement. Retirement. Retirement okay, you could. I told you I couldn't do this and and talk at the same all right. time. All right. But that's all right because this is a master class. So what do you want to say about retirement? I call it drip. Is retirement drip? planning? That means slow and steady. Slow oh. and steady. So young it. people, it's always best to start investing as soon as you can. But if they're saving for a house, buy the house first and invest a little bit. Later on, you want to invest more. So the point is, is that you're doing this throughout your life. You don't save for retirement. Say, okay, I save for retirement. I'm done. That doesn't usually happen. It's just an ongoing process throughout your life. And if you look at it that way 
and you can increase it over time, it's fine. Oftentimes I say, yeah, but I can only afford to put in $100 a month. Fine, great, good. That's 100 more than you were putting in before. Put it in. Next year you'll make it 125. The year after that you make it 150, and you'll make it 300, and it will add up. It will add up. So drip, drip, drip is the way to go, like a sinking fund. Uh, how you do it? I'm not as concerned if you put you put in a 401k or you put it in a self-employed pension plan or you just put it in an investment account. I'm more concerned with the process of putting money away than as concerned about, I like tax savings, I like all that, but just getting it away. Right. It's, it's, it's once again, that mindset of having the process and, and the secure, it's just, I just, well, I've, I've said it over and over, the, the mental um, feeling of having this in, in place is just incredible. All right, so we've talked about cash flow planning. We've talked about insurance. We've talked about retirement. What's number four? Can I say a little bit more about retirement? Oh, is that okay with you if I add a little oh, bit? Oh, I want Good. you to say. This is, it's yeah, a one-hour so show, say, my friend. Yeah, so let me tell you a little bit more about retirement because, first of all, I want to say there's two overarching issues that I want everyone to address. And you're sure. going to hear me say, well, why that? It's protect your family and secure your financial future. Everything I talk about, everything I help my clients with, my own family, are to the end of those two things, protecting the family and securing your financial future. So every, everything relates to that. So let's say someone comes in, they're 55 years old, and they have not saved anything for retirement because life has been very difficult, okay? But they are mm-hmm. working. What do I do now, okay? It's never too late to start. You start putting away now. It's better to have 100 or 200,000 in the next 15 years put aside than just giving up, okay? Mm-hmm. And depending on some inheritance or something else to come around, take personal responsibility, roll up the sleeves, and start. And that's the key. And it's not too late at 40. It's not too late at 45, 50. It's probably too late at 70, you know, unless mm-hmm. you're still working. And so some people say, yeah, but even if I do that, I'm not going to be able to really retire even by 65. I said, okay, maybe you'll need to work a little bit longer. Or if you have a home and you are putting rent, maybe we sell the home, buy something a little less expensive, invest that money along with what you're putting away now, and we'll have something to take from, including my Social Security, and we're going to leave a little bit better. So I can't fix everything, but I can give mm-hmm. you a path, help give you a path to get to the best possible alternative, and that's, that's really important. Uh, one more thing I want to say about retirement for those who have, have been able to save a lot is there's this idea that everything has to be put into a 401k and a pension plan because I get tax savings. Well, the problem is a client comes to me and they have $3 million in their, their retirement accounts, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. and they have no other money, nothing in the after-tax account, and they get Social Security or something else, and so they draw off this $3 million. And They say, Mike, I want to buy a car for $25,000. I say, okay, take out forty. Oh, I got to pay the tax on that. Add it in. Okay, I want to do this. Oh, got to take extra out. So it gets very frustrating to have to always pay tax on every dollar I'm going to take out to use for something. So I always suggest have an after-tax account. It might be a Roth or it might be just a regular investment account and the pre-tax. You want to build them both up so you can draw from both to be very flexible. Hmm. So an after-tax account and a pre-tax account is an important component when you are making your retirement plan. I think so. Okay. 
an after-tax. There's no such thing as an after the name after-tax account. That just means it's not pre-tax. It's not into a pension plan. So it could be a brokerage investment account or a savings account or a Roth account, you know, or however you want to invest your money. It's just not put into a pre-tax uh, program. I see. All right. Okay. A lot to think about, huh? A lot to think about. Yeah, there is. Okay, it is. But you know what? But it's important because, you know, it's kind of like, I I tell people, it's kind of like wisdom teeth. You know, once they're removed, they're out. You don't have to worry about it anymore. All right. Not to say you don't have to visit it. You're not going to visit your wisdom teeth. But, you know, at least you've got (laughs) something in place. (laughs) Okay, what was number four? College planning. Yes, sir. So college planning, it's very similar to retirement planning in a sense of drip. I usually suggest drip. There are some people that have enough money they can set aside a couple hundred thousand for their kids' college if that's what they want to do. But that's mm-hmm. not the majority of people. That's a very small minority of people. So mm-hmm. when a young couple comes in and they have a young child, I say it's time to open a college account. So what mm-hmm. is a college account? I say it's a savings account. To go open one is a savings account. Put $100 a month in there or $50 a month. What can you afford? And still do the other things we're talking about. Say, okay, we can afford to put 100 a month in there. They do that. The second year, they increase a little bit. And each year, they increase it for 18 years and build up that account. And when you have a second mm-hmm. child, you establish an account for them, too. And you do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, it won't amount to enough to pay for a private school, Mike. So, well, this is your decision. You have to decide what you're going to pay for, what the child's going to pay for. Are there going to be loans? What do you, it is a, part of it's a personal decision on how people want to raise their children. So I'm telling you a pathway to have the money you want to have. You want to have a larger amount for private school, you're going to have to put a bigger amount in, okay? And, and if not, maybe you've decided, okay, I'm going to put enough away for two-thirds of public school, a UC or in California or something like state school, and they're going to take loans for the rest. Well, that might be your decision. But the point is, again, it's a drip. I get people all the time that are new to me that have kids who are 15 says, okay, so I better do something. I ask them, what have you done about college? They say, well, nothing yet. Well, not too late to do something, but you're not going to do too much in three years, right? Mm-hmm. So start putting away now, and let's get some of it set aside. And whatever you do set aside, even if the college costs more than you've set aside, maybe you've paid for a year and a half, and you've already got a good start on it. So mm-hmm. something is always better than nothing, always. Um, so here's what I'm thinking. You said, like you said something's better than nothing. So let's just say you've got your two kids, and the reality is Susie wants to go to college, Joey doesn't. And so you've you've got the money to put Susie through college, and that's great, but you've got this money sitting over here. Um, can, is it, I, I guess there's no stupid questions, Mike, if you don't know the answers, so I'm not, just going to apologize. And, and I know so, what you're going to ask, and you should ask it. <laughs> okay. So so Susie, Susie got all this money to go to college, and Joey's going, you know what? But really, college is just not for me. But how you spent all that money on Susie, what, what about me? Two questions here, and one is your personal financial ethics with your children, right? I'm not sure right. I can answer that because every family is going to have the only, oh, their only ways to do it, right? Sure. They say, that was for education. You don't want to do education, don't talk to me about it. Or, yes, I've saved money for you, 
I will give this to you to help buy a house or something else. I, I, mm-hmm. I guess that would be a personal decision. I don't really want to comment on people what they think should do with that. Sure. But, but what does matter is how it's invested. So if you put it all in a 529 account, which is a college savings account, the only way that earnings will be non-taxable is to use it on tuition and, and living expenses for college for, for education. Where, and if you take it out, that, then there'll be tax and possibly a penalty on it uh, and use it for other things. So there are accounts that are made especially for education. I kind of like also people putting in what's called a UTMA account, which means a uniform uh, transfer for minors, and you put it in their account, and it's a little, bit, a little more efficient tax-wise. And then, but at that point, when they're 18 or 21, they actually get the account. So you have to decide whether you want to leave it in there. But I really haven't answered your question. It's, your question is really off, off the college planning track and on to what I want to plan for my kids. What, what, and then maybe the one who went to education says, well, wait a second, I'm getting penalized because Joe didn't go and he got the money to go buy a house. What about a house for me? So it gets mm-hmm. very confusing, and it also gets fully more confusing if one goes to private school and one goes to public school. One gets a full ride because they got a scholarship and one doesn't. So mm-hmm. I personally, I believe you even it out in other ways and, and you make it kind of even, uh, but every family will decide differently. Yeah. Not but, an easy decision. It, it's not, and I guess it goes back really to taxes, doesn't it? That That's a, an integral part of this. Well, it is. If you're saving for college, there are ways to do it so it's less tax. And I'll, I'll skip ahead because some, some of the future questions may re- revolve around business, but there's a way to pay your kids wages from your business or pay them a pay, and, and that's deductible. You take that money for the kid, kids and put it in a college savings account, and what you've done is you've deducted the cost of it, and then you save that along the way for college, and that's a way of, of getting a deduction for saving that money. Of course, the kids are going to do some work for you for it. They're going to help, right. like I did when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, so that so we've got we've got the cash flow, we've got the insurance, we've got the retirement, we've got the college planning. We're we're four out of six. What's number five? Are we getting tired? Hopefully not. No, too tired. I'm not Take tired. Take it all in one trip. Good. It's, you know good. what? No, I'm not getting tired, but I would say that this is a lot to digest. Hmm. Maybe this would be a good time to remind people that you've written an 80-page book that is going to help you through this. Am I right about that? Oh, yes, yes. It's very consumable, very easy to read, and in these topics I break down a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's right there on Amazon. It's it's very easy to purchase. And um, I love the cover, by the way. It's, it's pretty cool. And I would, I would really recommend that everyone listening that doesn't have a plan in order, and you know what? And honestly, even if you're somebody like me that does have a plan in order, why, would it, why wouldn't this be just a good idea to go, gosh, you know what? I can't believe I never talked to my person about this. I never even thought about this. I've just – I'm – you know, so I can see where the application is for anybody, whether you're me or you're my kids. All right, so what's number five? Number five is estate planning. And let me mention something the in between why I said, Are you getting tired? Because people can get overloaded with this sort of information. As it is, people put roadblocks because it's so it's complicated. There are difficult mm-hmm. decisions to do. Do I want to face my finances? Do I want to face, face mortality? Do I really want to talk about retirement plan when I haven't saved enough? I, I want to put my head in my sand, and I, want, I don't want to do that. 
So right. my point here now is don't try and take it all at once. In this show, we're doing it all at once. But what you right. do is you pick the most important thing, you address it, you move on to the next thing, put a two-year goal on all of it, try and get, get it in place and starting to work or something like that. But if mm-hmm. you think you're behind the eight ball, you are not. Most people are already behind the eight ball. You're probably a little ahead of them. Most people have not done some or all of this planning, not because they're bad people or purposely trying not to do it. It's because they're difficult subjects to address and there are roadblocks. So Mm -hmm. I just want to say, don't worry if you think you haven't uh, addressed them. A lot of people haven't. Mm -hmm. Good time to start. Mm -hmm. So estate planning is the next one. Okay. Estate planning is a kind of an ominous term. Uh, people know them as revocable trusts is really what the estate planning is about. But most people will think, now I'm not a lawyer, and you talk to lawyers about this, but uh, my father was an estate planning attorney, Charlie, the one I talked about. My brother's an estate mm-hmm. planning attorney, and my daughter's an estate planning attorney. So I do expose to it a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we call it a trust package. And people say, well, I don't have a lot of money, so I don't need a trust. Or... Um, I don't make a lot of money. I don't need a trust or I only have one house and social security and some time. I don't need a trust. Well, they forget there's a care part of trust. There's a social part of the trust versus the financial part. And the social or care part is as or more important than the financial part. And that part is if my wife and I, one of us becomes incapacitated for whatever reason, the question is, is can they be cared for? You say, oh, of course, my spouse can make the decisions. Don't be so hurried about that. If you don't have a trust, and let's say I'm incapacitated, let's say I, I'm on life support. What if my wife says, no, keep him on, and my daughter says, take him off? Doesn't my wife get to choose? I think the Shivo case talked about that about 10 years ago. It would go to court most likely because there's no, I have not told everyone out there who I want to make my decisions. And that's one of the parts of the trust. It says, my wife will be my durable power attorney for health care, and she will make my decisions. Mm-hmm. And then then doesn't go to court, you can decide. And you might say, what does that matter? Well, it delays things if there's any arguments. And it gets you more complicated if, uh, if there are children involved and one, mm-hmm. it, one dies and one's incapacitated. I mean, it's just a mess. So mm-hmm. part, there's the revocable living trust package, which has the living trust, the pour over will, the living will, and that's the one I say, should, the, should I be taken off life support or not? Let me make that decision, not force on somebody else. And then there's a durable power attorney for health care, for just where should I be if I'm incapacitated. It should be at nursing care, and they can move me around. And then uh, the last one is a durable power for financial purposes, to be able to direct my assets to take care of me. So the, the trust covers all those care aspects, which are very important, without court involvement, and they happen more mm-hmm. fluidly and easily. And by the way, the word revocable means it can be revoked and changed. So if, I, if my wife and I assign my brother to take care of the kids, if we die, if they're minor children, if I change my mind a year from now, as long as I'm not incapacitated or dead, I can change that trust and choose it to be my cousin or somebody else. So it can be changed. So uh, we want to make those changes as we need to. I want to interrupt you just for a moment because I thought that was really vitally important so that's what revocable means it means that just because you know um my daughter is listed as the executor of my trust if i decided that you know i'm going to change that over to my son instead 
it's it, I can do that 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 I can make those adjustments while I'm alive and in good health. Am I right? Correct. Said perfectly. Okay, that, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's now. Uh, yeah, go ahead. When I die or become incapacitated, that becomes irre- irrevocable normally. So I can't. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not of capacity to change it, and so mm-hmm. therefore it can't change. Uh, there are certain exceptions and situations legally, but we won't go into those. That's normally what okay. happens. And then there's the finances side of the trust. Okay, let's say I have minor children, and we've uh, have, even if I didn't amass in a very good estate, I might have a million or two insurance. If both of us die, there's $2 million in the estate. If there's nothing else, when do the kids get it? Who's going to take care of the kids? If there's no trust, mm-hmm. to, then the court has to assign somebody. Someone step, let's say three people step forward, family members, the court will have to decide who is going to take care of the children. So the trust says who's going to sign and take care of the children. They'll use that money from the trust. And by the way, if there's no trust and there's no planning, when did the kids get that money? Most likely when they're 18. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not such a good story all the time. So the trust may say, no, 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 not like if it's a probate or a living, uh, living will. They're not going to get it when they're 18 automatically because I didn't plan. I'm going to do a trust. I'm going to say, okay, at at 25, you get one-third of the estate. At 30, you get a, a half what's left. And when you're 35, you get the balance. And this is the trustee. My brother is going to be the trustee for you kids. And that's an example of a distribution pattern mm-hmm. that some trust people choose for trust. And that's mm-hmm. so you're guiding your assets as opposed to letting the state use their rules to distribute your assets. All right. So let me ask you this question. I have fur babies on both sides, married children. They both have homes. If something was to, God forbid, happen to my children at the same time, let's say, and they don't have any kind of a trust in place, am I correct in presuming that their net worth just goes to the state is that no, that's incorrect? not exactly right. Okay, that's can incorrect. you help me there's understand that? Of, there's, again, it's a little bit more a legal topic, but I know all about it, and that's there. usually there's probate fees, and the probate mm-hmm. fees will go to the government, if you will, to administer that through the court, but the, they'll go be, the distribution will go based on state law. So let's say the state law of California might say it goes to their children first, mm-hmm. and if there are no minor children that they have, it would go to parents, I believe, and if there's no parents alive, I think it goes to siblings and then cousins. So there's this state. States have their rules of how mm-hmm. the money will flow if you have not indicated. First, we go to a spouse, obviously, would be right. the first. Uh, and, and then it goes to those others. So uh, is, the point is, is that it gets administered differently. You have very little say-so on the distribution pattern, and mm-hmm. it's cumbersome because it uses the court, whereas the trust doesn't get court involvement. Got it. That's, that's but the bulk of really the good. will go to the beneficiary eventually, but it takes some time, usually mm-hmm. six months to a year to administer right. the state versus the trust, which might be uh, months. Right. Another, another thing that I think that you can also do, one of the things that, that I've done, I'm now I'm just sharing more of my personal business here, but I, within my financial portfolio, I set up a charitable distribution trust, a foundation or charitable foundation or whatever you call it. So when I, I've already received the tax break for that, 
And so when I support organizations like the YMCA and a lot of other organizations that I believe very strongly in, you know, my kids can see that. They can't have any of that money, but they can, if there's money left that hasn't been distributed, they know how to do that. I think it's really important when you start doing this that you really involve your children as much as possible. As I said, I'm not going to be putting grandchildren through college, um, but I, I I want to make sure you know that that my financial situation is evenly spread, regardless of the difference between the the portfolio of both of my children. It, it's not like, well, you've got more than she's got. She's got more than you've got, so she gets, you know, 40% and you get 60%. It, it's not set up that way in my family. It's 50-50, and, um, and I don't know if that's typical, but it's, it's certainly the way I set up my estate. Is that pretty typical? It is typical, and some do have charitable meter trusts and, and certain types of donor-advised funds that are set up uh, when they pass. And that's a fantastic tool and program to use. And none of that happens if you don't do planning. Correct. I mean, the 50-50 might happen because state law will split it between the children, but it mm -hmm. will take some time and some money to make it happen through the courts. Sure, sure. All right, so we're getting to number six now. So we've got estate planning done. What's number six of the big six? And by the way, one through six, I tend to do uh, little videos on my website, SoCal.com. So called that, that BernsteinFinancial.com. And if you click on a certain area, you'll get to my working out accountant YouTube videos. And what that is, is I take about two to four minutes, three to one to three minutes while I'm working out because I love to work out. And I give you a tax mm-hmm. tip or a financial tip. And sometimes they're Terrific. about estate planning, sometimes they're about tax planning, uh, cash Terrific. flow planning. And I'm going to start a series on my book on that. So too. You know what? Um, let's do this, Mike, because I think I did visit that. I might have even hyperlinked it. But you, when, when you and I get off this call together and I'm doing the follow-up and promoting this show, I want to make sure that I have that, that link um, as the workout accountant so that people can do and see exactly what you're just talking about because I do think that – well, balance to me is a really, really important term, and it sounds to me like you personally are in balance. That you have Mike, the the the, the businessman, but you also have Mike, the athlete, and you kind of meld the two because your mind is centered on preparation, regardless of whether it has to do with your money or your exercise. So I, I want to make sure that we can get people to see to see that YouTube. Um, and what's, what's number six? Tax planning. Okay. Near and dear to my heart. So tax <laughs> planning obviously encompasses lots of things, but the first thing I want to say is people think it happens once a year when they go to do their taxes. It shouldn't. Now, some people have the same things every year. They're at the same job, the same withholdings, basically the same things going on. Okay, fair enough. Once a year should do it. But a lot of people, their situations change throughout the year, yet they don't plan in advance. Taxes at the end of the year should not be a big surprise. Mm-hmm. You should be able to talk specialists and, and predict what's going on and change it throughout the year so that you have a happy tax return and not a sad one. And if you're going to have a sad one, you know it in advance and you're prepared for it. So we don't want to have surprises one way or the other uh, if we do proper tax planning. And everyone mm-hmm. can do it. I mean, they can't always do it themselves. They might need an expert to help them. 
In any case, that's number one. And number two is if you have a more complicated tax situation, when I say you may have a rental property or you have a business, what you should try and do is work with the accountant to make it so it's organized. You might think, yeah, but I'm making their job easy and my job harder. But really what the accountant will tell you is the more organized you are, the better chance you're not going to miss deductions. If you give someone, I don't take a box of receipts, but if you give someone a box of receipts, there's a much higher chance that they're going to rush and not get everything right because they don't understand your receipts than if you summarize them and give them properly in categories and go over things with the accountant that way. So preparation is really important and using tax organizers and things like that are really important to get your, all your deductions down there and all your income correct. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. Specific, I would like to talk about the pandemic and the CARES Act, uh, if you don't Please. mind, for a moment about taxes. I would taxes. love for you to talk about that. It's not specific tax planning because tax planning is more how much you should put in your 401K versus somewhere else, but we all know we should do those things as best we can and talk to your accountant about it. But when it comes to the CARES Act, let me just mention some things that have just happened recently. Uh, so there was the first CARES Act, there was the second one, and now there's this uh, third, I'll call it third CARES Act, it's not called that, it's just in the process of being passed now. And of course, people got stimulus checks if they were in the right range of income, and they got a second stimulus check if they were in the right range of income again, which was lower income, not everyone, the same people got it. And now this third one is even a lower uh, amount. So let me give you an example why it's important to understand the rules. The first stimulus was based on the 2018 return because they didn't have 19. Some had filed 19, some had not. So they would use 18 if you hadn't filed 19. They would use 19 if you filed 19. So it turned out your income was higher in 19 than it, should, than it was in 18. Some people held off filing the 19, so they got the stimulus, and that was allowed. Well, the same thing's happening this year. If, this, if you, for some reason, most people in 20 had less income, but some actually had more for whatever reason. Maybe they took distributions from pensions to make ends meet or whatever. They could have had higher income. And then they phase themselves out of the stimulus because now they have higher income. They can hold off on filing that return until the stimuluses are sent out based on the 2019 income and still get it. And even though their income in 20 may be higher, when they file that, the IRS uh, government has said, well, you don't have to pay us back, even if it's higher now. So I've said a lot of mm. things that are complicated. The important mm -hmm. thing is to acknowledge there are issues and talk to your tax preparer about this on whether you should file quickly because your income has come down and now you do qualify it or wait and not file right away. Some mm. of the things that have gone on, uh, the Congress is just in this package talking about the first 10,000 of unemployment not being taxable on uh, married people married couple with less than 150 and is probably single with 75. I don't recall reading the single portion, but the point is, is that uh, you may have already filed your return and you had unemployment. You can amend mm -hmm. your return and get a refund back or hold off on filing till this passes and then file and exclude the first $10,000 of unemployment. That's okay. another new one. Wow. A lot. And, and, and like, like you're saying, there's, there's, because everybody's um, circumstances are not the same, which is why I go right back to what I said from the very beginning of the show with you, Mike, and that is whatever your circumstances are, are yours. You don't really need to be um, worried about your neighbor's income and their situation. What you need, and, and I don't even think worried is the correct word. I think the correct word is um, persistent. I think that you know if you if you just want to bury your head in the sand and say, "Oh, I don't know, 
I, I, this is too much for me. I don't, I don't want to figure this out. My kids will deal with it, whatever. You know, you're, you're really maybe missing a boat. And, and maybe it's expensive to, to get involved and have these, these, these professionals on a team, but it, it's, it's, there's something to be said for the relief like the wisdom tooth, once it's out, it's out, and um, I'm I'm so in favor of the of the work that that you offer and and your team offers, and the fact that you've written a book, and the fact, frankly, if somebody is listening, and I know you're in San Diego and I'm up here um, by LAX, but somebody's listening in Montana and they're going, you know what? There really isn't anybody around here I'd like to deal with. They really could reach out to you, couldn't they? That you don't have to live in San Diego to take part in your services, do you? No. Now, I don't take a lot of individual clients on for tax preparations, mostly businesses and Mm -hmm. and their owners. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I don't take emails for questions and give people guidance. I'm happy to do that just because I think it's a service that's very needed. So if someone wants to ask a question about part, one of the items in my book, I encourage them to do so. They can do it through the website, SoCalBernsteinFinancial.com. And I I'm happy to answer generous. questions. That's, and I like that's... to be a quarterback. I don't sell insurance. I don't do mm-hmm. living trust. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't invest people's money. Uh, mm-hmm. But I like to be the quarterback to say, this is what you need to do. This is who you go visit. This is how you go do that. And I reference that in my book. So you like to be the quarterback. Okay. Yeah. There's one more thing that's really important for people to understand. Please. Don't let, don't let experts tell you how you haven't done something. Let experts be positive influences about tell you how you can get things done from here forward. It doesn't help to make you feel bad. You need to feel good about what you're going to do, not bad about what you didn't do. And there's plenty you've done right in life. Let's concentrate on fixing the last couple things, get them going in the right path, and you'll slowly get to where you need to go. So don't let those roadblocks surround yourself with positive influencers. If an investor, uh, investment person doesn't, you know, they rub you the wrong way because they're too rough on you, get a different investment advisor that's going to treat you the right way and encourage you to uh, meet your goals. Wow, that's terrific advice. So you got another book uh, lining up in the in the in the foreground there, the background, I should say. I actually, I actually have a book that's almost done, but it's not going to be of quite an interest to the audience that's on uh, apartment development because I'm very involved in that. My, um, I was thinking of maybe in a, 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 doing a follow-up book to this one I have here and maybe go a little deeper dive into the mm-hmm. personal finances maybe another year mm-hmm. from now. Neat. And what about – so did I – I think I heard you say that you are a triathlete. And did you – and Ironman, did you go to Hawaii? Uh, no, I didn't make it to Hawaii because Hawaii you have to qualify for so oh. you have to. There's about there's about 1,700 people in each Ironman race. There's, there used to be around 10 of them. Now there's more. Ironman is the longest triathlon. It's a, it's a 2.4 mile swim, a a 112 mile bike ride, and a marathon. And mm-hmm. so it takes takes me around 13, 14 hours to finish. But I'm a middle of the packer so far. So you have to be in the top mm-hmm. 10. There's maybe 200 or 300 in my age group, and I'm more like 100. Uh, you have to be in the top 10 to qualify for Hawaii. But I do have a plan. I want to tell you, this plan, Marsha, is to, if I can do a tri- an Ironman when I'm 70, there aren't 10 people in your group. There aren't 10 mm-hmm. 70 year olds that can currently do the Ironman. So if I can finish it in 17 hours, I can go to Hawaii. So I have another cool. nine years to go and see if I can finish an Ironman. <laughs> 
God. And do you do you happen to know that's why not have those goals, right? I mean, your goal, man. Do you know anything about the um, ultra athletes? Yeah, so I've done a hundred mile run before. That's an ultra marathon, yep. and Ironman is kind of an ultra athlete item. Um, there are longer than a hundred. There's a hundred thirty mile run and a hundred forty mile run. People run across the country take five weeks to do it. But anyway, right. I've done one hundred miler. Took me 28 hours to finish it, just under the, the wire. I had 30 to finish it. It was in Arkansas, called the Arkansas Traveler, about 10 years ago. And I figured out after I did that that my body's not built for a 100-miler, and I'm not <laughs> doing those anymore. <laughs> That's but it's funny. a long event. <laughs> a lot of training wow. involved. Wow, I bet. But it sounds like since you were eight years old, my friend, Mike, you've been training, whether it was – I have. You, you can't tell me I can't run, um, to observing your dad, to to understanding that maybe you didn't think you were going to go into this line of work, but guess what? You did. Um, you, you've influenced um, one of your daughters to do, um, you know, estate planning. I mean, I think that's – I no, did not – no, did you didn't say what is she not estate planning? What is she? Well, yes, I didn't want to miss. You're right. It, it, I was right when elder, I said estate planning. Elder in estate planning. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, you know, I I just I think this is such an important topic. And while yes, there's been a lot to shovel in. Um, there's a, there's a there's a lot of meat on the table when we when we have this conversation, but you have made it an, an available digestible process in which people can literally. Order your book on Amazon or whatever, however you like to, to, to get your books. Um, some people, like myself, use Amazon Smiles, so a portion of what I order goes to my Rotary Club. It goes to another organization called Share Hope USA. So even when you order on Amazon and you're, and you're getting a book, you, you can help somebody else along the way. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can prepare ourselves so that we can be prepared like you said revisiting this is it's not like it's 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 been put to bed and now you don't have to think about it anymore we do need to do our taxes every day, every year circumstances in our families change maybe i don't want to have a house this big maybe i need to have a house that's smaller well where's that going to go you know so I, I'm just really grateful that you've taken the time to explain these things to all of us. I will make it available for people if they want to ask you a question. You've been generous enough for people to send you an email, Mike. I think that that's, that's just terrific. And thank you. Thank you so, so much for, for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. And everybody, while we talk about our health and our safety of our health under these pandemic times don't forget to take about don't, don't forget to take care of your financial health as well because that was really the focus of today's show so thank you all for listening and always being there for me i'll be here next week with another exciting interesting guest and for now i'm going to say goodbye and thank you mike and have a great week everybody bye for now <laughs> 